You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Blogging Heads. I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is someone who probably does not need an introduction for anyone who is consuming this content in whatever form, but I'll ask him to introduce himself anyway, and that is uh, Matt Lewis. Uh, hey, I'm Matt Lewis, uh, senior columnist at the Daily Beast and co-host of the DMZ show here at bloggingheads.tv. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. And yes, yeah, so I get this, this sort of a crossover episode, like when, you know, Batman shows up in Superman or, uh, you know, Scooby. When Magnum, <laughs> wasn't there like a Magnum P.I., maybe uh, the murder she wrote lady. And uh, uh, I can't even remember. There was a, some of these shows from like the 80s. If Bill Cher was here. Yeah, he you guys, you got done. your era of TV that you guys talk about is uh, a bit before my time. But but Mer, <laughs> maybe Murray Shrub and Magnum P.I. because we're, we're sort of going to be talking about a big problem. And, and you know, we're bringing various <laughs> detectives from various sides to talk about it. Um, so thanks. So thanks for coming on. Um, and so uh, what inspired this conversation was uh, the DMZ episode that you did with Bill Share from a couple weeks ago. And uh, I guess you guys were talking about. The topic was sort of Kamala Harris and her various political issues. And then uh, it moved to, you know, if, you know, once Biden leaves the scene, is, is there anyone on the Democratic side who can, who has sort of the stature or gravitas or charisma or political ability to win this thing? And then you were saying, well, you know, it seem, kind of seems like they don't, but maybe there's no one on the Re- Republican side either who could do this and sort of we're stuck with this group of kind of losers. <laughs> on all sides. And then you were talking about how you feel like we, like the country is in a crisis and we, we need a, some sort of great leader to emerge and in past crises in American history that has happened. And um, maybe that isn't going to happen this time or, or, or could it, or, you know, or, or what? I I thought this was really interesting and especially um, the aspect that you guys talked about sort of the policy aspect for versus the, sort of moral or spiritual aspect. And so you also discussed um, Jimmy Carter and how he had this, you know, he had an advisor who wanted him to sort of lead a, you know, a moral reawakening or something in the country. And then he had other advisors who were like, no, he doesn't, people are upset about gas prices. Like you just need to focus on that, you know, the, the pocketbook issues. And um, of course he, you know, would, would, I guess he sort of chose somewhere in the middle and then lost reelection. Um, and yeah. So what is, you know, what is the country needing right now? Does it need just a solution to the obvious problems, which would be mainly the coronavirus and the economy, or does it need something more, some sort of, you know, new, like spiritual, moral, some ethical awakening or something because we've had so, so many dark times. Okay. So I talked a little bit <laughs> too much. Well, what do you think I guess the stuff? only thing I would say is I think clearly we need more than just our material needs met because even before COVID and inflation or all the problems plaguing us now, uh, there was a, a an emptiness and a sense that things were not going well. We were very prosperous materially. We live at a time where People are, you know, kind of healthier and just statistically speaking, there's no better time to be alive and no better place to be alive than right here, right now. And yet 
very obviously, uh, we are not happy. We're not procreating uh, as one sign of that. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that is a sign of, of some of something deeper than just uh, not, you know, not having children. Um, but, you know, in 2016, when we elected Donald Trump, COVID didn't exist. And, you know, inflation wasn't a problem. Violent crime wasn't really a problem. And yet we were obviously uh, suffering from this kind of psychic malaise. Um, and so uh, I, I would definitely argue that there is something deeper than uh, the obvious problems in front of us right right now. Yeah. And I think I may have said this before on the show, but, you know, the the fact that like the United States produced a figure like Donald Trump is sort of an indictment of some core aspects of the country. And that's not even let alone the fact that he was elected president. Like this is the fact that this horrible person existed in my, in my, in my opinion, was, you know, sort of enough to, you know, a damn, damn us uh, eternally. Um, but then, you know, that he was, um, you know, lawfully elected to, to lead the country is, is even worse. And yeah, and I'll, you know, it seemed, you know, just recovering from the problems that either Trump caused or Trump exacerbated or Trump, you know, didn't solve um, would, would be a Herculean effort, but yeah, but that, you know, in 2016, you know, looking back, things seem not quite so bad from 2021 perspective. And yet, you know, half the country roughly slightly, slightly less than half was ready to pick Trump. And so that that's a sign that something has gone seriously off the rails, I think. Um, and then, you know, sort of, you know, people like, you know, um, Joe Biden or, Kamala Harris, are they capable of stepping up? And, and I mean, one way I, I I thought about this during the election was, you know, Biden was missing a return to normalcy. And I think Bill actually, this is something Bill talked about. I'm just like, OK, the craziness, you know, we've had enough of the craziness. Let's, you know, let's return. Let's put the adults back and people who know what they're doing will be running Washington. And I think that's and, and politics will recede from the center of like national culture. Because the domination of politics in our lives is not natural and most people don't like it and don't want to be thinking about the president all the time. And so just a more boring kind of government, I thought, you know, was sort of the underlying premise of of Biden's candidacy and also would be fairly successful. So, you know, has that worked out? I guess, you know, the Delta variant maybe upended that. Um, But this one doesn't seem like just boring competence or semi-competence is going to be enough because people are obviously still mad out there about various things. And I don't know. And even if the pandemic receded, it seems like people will just find something else to be mad about, like critical race theory or so something real quasi real or imagined they'll rile people up and they'll be, (laughs) they will be happy. Um, So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just think there's so many variables here, including like social media, um, which gives people the opportunity to, for for one thing, like to compare ourselves to other people, right? Um, maybe that's on Instagram and we see how well someone else is doing mm-hmm. and that creates like bitterness or envy, um, which is not healthy for, for the culture of a country. 
um, people who want to get, you know, who want to um, instigate fights or uh, rile people up use can use social media. So there are um, tools um, and sort of technological shifts that have made it maybe harder for a country to stay together. But, you know, if you watch, like, say, like football, like the NFL, um, you know, they're winning teams uh, tend to have this culture and there are leaders who emerge and like they get lucky, like things go well. Sometimes it is luck. The ball bounces their way, uh, so to speak. And um, and sometimes there's like a player that needs to be removed. You know, there may be someone on on the bench or someone in, in the clubhouse who's a problem. And there needs to be the head coach or the quarterback who kind of steps in and puts that person in line. And um, I'm a believer in that. I, I think that like NFL franchises, for example, that establishing the, the, the right culture is an important like ingredient to their success. And, um, you know, in a country like America, obviously, we don't have the uh, the mechanisms, nor should we uh, to instill that kind of discipline. But I do think if I were, you know, if you hired me to kind of come in and fix the country or whatever, you know, I wouldn't just be thinking like, well, we need to spur GDP growth. And, we, you know, I would be thinking like, first thing we need to do is address the culture problem here. There's a culture problem. Um, easier said than done, but I, I really think that that's kind of the fundamental problem. Right. And that's an interesting metaphor of, you know, a, a sports team because that assumes that we're all on the same team. Whereas yeah. many Americans would probably think there's at least two teams and we need to annihilate the other team, or maybe there's a couple dozen teams and my team, you know, I, just, I want my team to beat all the other teams. Um, and, you know, and so I think, so one thing that could have happened when the coronavirus emerged and, and, you know, the world lockdown is that there could have been like a surge of national unity and, or even global unity with this idea that this is a common threat that threatens every, you know, person on earth. And so we need to band together to fight against it. And so that didn't happen. So obviously global unity didn't happen, but also like national unity strangely didn't happen either. And maybe it happened in some, in some countries, but it didn't happen here, even though we could, you know, probably all Americans could agree that we don't want our fellow Americans to die horrible deaths from this terrible disease. Yeah. And yet it, the, you know, so this is probably partially Trump's fault because he is, you know, he's a divider, not a uniter, but the, it was, so it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like after 9-11 when suddenly everyone seemed to be united. And and maybe that's a good thing because some of the things we did after 9-11 turned out were not so great. Um, but the the unification that, you know, the unification that happened after 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or something didn't happen, even though it seems like this is kind of a, an equivalent or even greater threat. Certainly, you know, 250 times as many people have been killed in America. Uh, versus 9-11. Um, but there was no there was no leader to unite us. And also it seemed like I don't know, it like people uh, tribalized and factionalized around 
you know, the, the lockdown rules, masking, now vaccination, and all these other fights. And yeah, the external the external threat didn't didn't yeah. unify us in the way that Pearl Harbor did. Do you have yeah. <laughs> thoughts on why that happened? Yeah, I mean, I, so I mean, I, I feel like you know, it would be awesome if there was some sort of a religious revival or awakening that happened in America. It's like at the grassroots level that really changed hearts. But that we can't plan for that. You can't really make that happen. And that that's that's a heavy lift. It's much it would be much easier to to kind of go with the great man theory of politics, you know. And so you know, we don't know what would have happened if someone other than Donald Trump had been president. But it's hard to imagine anybody who would have handled coronavirus worse than Donald Trump from the spiritual. And by spiritual here, I'm using it kind of colloquially, right? Mm -hmm. From that standpoint. Okay. So, like, you could argue that Donald Trump did a fine job with Operation Warp Speed. But in terms of being like the moral leader of a country of, of summoning us and uniting us or, or, or whatever, you can really can't imagine anyone worse who would have done a worse job than he did. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, what if, you know, I'm a conservative guy. So like, what if, what if Marco Rubio had won in 2016? Um, what would he have been like? What would, what would Tim Scott, president Tim Scott, what would it, what might he have done in this opportunity? And, and you know, it's impossible to know what would have happened, but I suspect it would have been a lot better. And so, um, you know, now we have like a chicken or egg problem. Like, what does it say about a country that would elect Donald Trump? That's an indictment, I think, on the American public, all of us. But um, but would we have behaved better if we had someone in a leadership position who was you know, like more responsible and and really inspiring us. Like I, I do believe in leadership. Like I do believe it matters if there is someone who has not only the rhetorical ability to inspire, which Trump doesn't have, but also the moral authority to do it. Trump was the worst possible person. And so um I I think that maybe the easiest, and this is still a really heavy lift. But the easiest thing to do is maybe try to, uh, you know, try to get someone elected as president uh, who is kind of decent and honorable and and eloquent. And um, and that's where, you know, this conversation started, because <laughs> not only are the top, you know, sort of two most likely people to be our next president, which I think would be Joe Biden and Donald Trump, not only are they both not up to the job. Uh, to the degree they should be, but I don't really see a lot of you know hope on on the bench either. Yeah, so I, I agree with you that Trump was basically the worst person who could have been charged of the country during this crisis. And I think I tweeted very early on, you know, like March, like March twenty twenty, like if if Trump was not a total, total narcissist, he would just resign, say I, I can't handle this. I'm handing off to Mike Pence you know, God bless and good luck. Of course, he didn't do that. Yeah. But basically any other person, you know, probably just picking someone out of the phone book would have been better. But Mike Pence, not someone whose politics I agree with or, or a, a character I particularly 
admire, but just a standard politician who does regular politician things, you know, would have been much better. And I assume, you know, Mike Pence would have encouraged um, masking and um, and vaccination and 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 sort of nipped that in the bud in, in some ways and sort of, you know, modeled good behavior for his, you know, his half of the of the country. And that would have, you know, that would have led to possibly hundreds of thousands of fewer Americans dead. Um, and yeah, so so, you know, we really <laughs> we we really screwed up uh, when we elected Donald Trump as president. That was a giant mistake. Um, and now, yes, as you know, said before, you know, we, we have to both dig ourselves out from the problems of the past of the you know, 2016 to 2020 Arab, but also yeah. confront the problems right. that led to Trump's rise and victory and, and, to begin with. And that's that seems very, very difficult for, for anyone, let alone Joe Biden. And, you know, and earlier Harris. I said, like, you know, what would I do if you made me like if you gave me carte blanche authority to come in and try to fix America? Like, I think that when we think about who should be president. And when the whoever the next president is, they should approach the job that way. Like it's, you know, now there's going to be competing interests. You know, there's going to be just like Pat Cadell was telling Jimmy Carter. There's a spiritual crisis that's really deep and profound. And Walter Mondale was saying, well, wait a second here. Let's worry about gas prices. There's going to be competing interests. And as I told, you know, as I told Bill, I think Carter should have acted as if there was a spiritual crisis without saying there was, you know, like in a way, Reagan addressed the spiritual crisis by ne- by never acknowledging it, you know, but by uh, it was almost, you know, this this will go to kind of the the uh, Norman Vincent Peale power of positive thinking thing that Donald Trump also has, but he kind of transcended it and just um bestowed upon the American people this belief that they were winners and that they will there'll always be a brighter day. This very optimistic message that kind of lifted them. It's very complicated, of course. I'm I'm simplifying here, but but I guess my point is that like not only is it important kind of for the leader to acknowledge that his real goal is not just our material needs, but to uh inspire and uplift and kind of restore us to being on the same team, but he also can't really talk about doing it. <laughs> you have to show it, not tell it. Yeah, because, you know, you know, like a, a Sunday school sermon kind of thing is not going to fly maybe ever, but certainly not in 2021, um, given all the like cultural and technolo- technological changes. Um, and OK, so. If we're thinking who, what sort of person could be a good leader this time, well, you know, I'm somewhat biased, but one person who comes to mind is Barack Obama. Um, you know, a, 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 a sort of person with a sunny, optimistic, um, this is where I was talking about 2008 Obama, at least, you yeah, know, yeah, so yeah. his slogan was hope. Um, and, and, you know, the way he, he crafted his narrative um, you know, he was sort of the American promise fulfilled in no other country is my story even possible is a line that he's 
you know, he used um, and, you know, uh, a generational signified racial change, generational change. Um, and and yet the you know, we wouldn't say the to Obama terms were a time of national unity and yeah. spiritual yeah. and moral uplift. Like it it seemed like he could have been the sort of person who led some sort of paradigm shift or something. And I put so I put some happen. of the so I put some of the blame on him for that, to be honest with you. And and so I agree with like everything you said and and in the sense that I think he was very well positioned to be that person. And I think he was incredibly talented. But I'll just go back to the football analogy, which is sometimes we draft quarterbacks and they look really promising. Like and sometimes they even win the Super Bowl, like like Russell Wilson, you know, won like pretty early on. And and then I'm just bringing him up because he lost to the Washington football team last night. <laughs> um, um, and I actually, interestingly, I interviewed uh, Russell Wilson's, um, uh, for lack of a better term, spiritual coach, uh, motivator, um, uh, a while back, who has, who has a book out. I think it's called It Takes What It Takes. Um, so, uh, but anyway, that so I think that Obama simply, um, he wasn't Reagan. He wasn't Lincoln. He wasn't FDR. I think he was uh, incredibly talented. And um, and I also think, yeah, you could talk about like, you know, racism and, and other th- obstacles that were confronting him. But all great leaders, just like all great football teams, they're playing against professionals, too. You know, the people on the other side, are they're getting paid to stop you from scoring touchdowns. FDR had. uh, uh obstacles, you know, Reagan had obstacles and yet they delivered. I think they got the job done. I think Obama, he's a two-term president. He has, you know, much to recommend him. I don't think he was able to change the culture and to bring us together. And I think some of that is a result of his failing, that he did not live up to the hype and the promise of hope and change that he, that he campaigned on initially. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think anyone would argue that he united the country. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> right. and, and like, and I'll go back Trump's to Bill Parcells. Election, so. who was it? Was it Parcells who said, you know, you are you are what the scoreboard says you are, or what your record says you are, right? And so, like, Obama either did it or he didn't, and he didn't. So he didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like he had a failed presidency. Obviously, he was reelected. Had major points on the points on the board for the sports metaphor with, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, etc. But it wasn't a revolutionary, you know, turning point, not revolutionary, but it wasn't, you know, a turning point in American history that reshuffled the, you know, the, 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 the landscape in the way that Lincoln FDR Reagan did. And so maybe, well, maybe, okay, so personal failings just didn't have the stuff. That would be one explanation. Um, maybe the the timing was wrong. You know, he uh, entered office at the, you know, sort of very bottom of the crisis and uh, the economic crisis. And then um, and didn't really understand that uh, how bad the economic crisis was at the time. Maybe that was part of it. Um, and and so, you know, sort of, you know, he, you know, he he entered at. 1929 to 1933, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so couldn't be that sort of FDR type figure. 
Um, obviously, you know, the, the, cha- oh, the challenges are different when we're talking, especially talking about FDR and Lincoln. You know, yeah. it, the, there's not a threat that the country is going to be dissolved. I would, I would also or, say, or, and I agree you know, with you, like, I think, you know, I think luck and timing are a lot of everybody. You, like, you, it is, it is what it is, you know, uh, the atmospherics, the, the environment, like, like luck, you know, that's totally true. And it's uncontrollable. I do think that Obama, if you, if you remember, he comes into office and I think he thought, let's go back to the putting points on the scoreboard analogy. I need to do something big, right? And it was, it was, it was healthcare. And I'm old enough to remember the, the big fight over Hillary care and how divisive that was and the talk of socialized medicine and all that. And so, you know, look, we could argue that like the trade-off was worth it, that Obama needed to do something for health care and he he made a sacrifice. And but but I guess my point would be that was a choice. The choice was not I am going to transcend politics and restore America's you know, kind of spiritual or cultural problem. It was, I can do one big thing probably, it's gonna be pushing through on a partisan, they pushed this through in a very partisan manner, Obamacare. Then after Scott, the public said, the public was so pushing the brakes to elect Scott Brown, you know, a Republican to replace Ted Kennedy, he doesn't listen to him. He plows through. He didn't seem to take cues. Midterms go against him. Instead of kind of readjusting like Bill Clinton did and reinventing himself, he keeps pushing kind of his agenda. Look, there are plenty of smart political strategists who would tell you he did the right thing. Republicans are never going to cooperate. They're always going to be dragging their feet. This is an important thing. It's landmark legislation. You did something that Harry Truman wanted to do. You got to do it, right? That's fine, but that's a choice. And when you choose to do that, that means you're choosing not to focus on being the uniter, right? And so that's my, that would be my ding on, oh, he made a choice. And I would argue healthcare is very important, but our fundamental need as a people is this spiritual problem. I think, you know, okay. so part of that, there's truth to that. And you can say, was it, you know, worth or not to expand health insurance to X number of people at the cost of, you know, both the political cost of losing the Congress and, you know, and also the, you know, making making everyone mad instead of uniting everyone at the same time, you know, you can't unite people if they don't actually want to be united. And, you know, the Republicans were pretty opposed to him. From the get-go, and it's possible that you know that some olive branch or something could have changed things, but at the same time, it is a you know zero-sum two-party system where one you know if you want to win, the other side has to lose. And so Mitch McConnell made the uh, correct strategic uh, bet that um, opposing Obama would be his path to power, not working with Obama. So you know you can you can't be a you can't be a uniter if the other side refuses to unite. Um, so that's part of it. But also, you know, in, in the FDR example, um, you know, uh, the 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 external, you know, the external threat caused by um, 
Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany is what, you know, really unified the country. And there wasn't that sort of thing during Obama's term. Now, the coronavirus was made, was sort of a similar yeah. threat, except it was, like I said before, a threat to every person on Earth. And that seemed to not unite the country in the way that, you know. OK, so in my alternate reality, Trump resigns. Pence becomes president. He uh, he appoints as vice president, you know, some like elder statesman from the Democratic side and says, okay, this is like we're running. This is the biggest threat since 1945. We're running a unity government to confront this giant threat and like save the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans. It's possible to, you know, that could have maybe happened. I don't think that's totally crazy to think about that. Uh, Obviously, it didn't for various reasons. And even if, you know, even if it wasn't Trump, um, it, it would be hard if it was Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, it would have been hard to imagine you know, saying, okay, this is now a unity government and and essentially like a war footing of the entire country yeah. um, being drafted into this effort to stamp out the virus and, and save lives. And that, so that didn't happen here. And it probably didn't happen in, in most countries, um, except like some of the East Asian countries. Like I, I saw the stat that South Korea has had 3,500 COVID deaths in a population of about 50 million. Um, so that's like at least 100 times better, a lower rate than America. Um, and so, you know, the different culture, different politics over there, but, it, but instead they went in the total opposite of tribalism, factionalism, blaming, you know, w- weird conspiracy theories, blaming other people, blaming other countries, blaming international organizations, blaming, uh, you know, wealthy people, blaming the Jews, blaming any group you wanted to blame for our problems and, and, you know, led to, you know, even, even worse, factionalism and you know uh civil uh unrest literally and uh you know people storming the capital at the end so it was a real a real disaster all around yeah. um okay so i guess so but i guess another question that your your talk with bill made me think of is like you know is is this even possible can you have even if we had the perfect leader you know waiting in the wings in 2021 could this happen or is it just the circumstances the technology and the history are such that you know it, we, you can't unite the country um it's, it's just it, it, it can't happen no matter how, what the skills are of or moral character or whatever of, of any individual leader it's just impossible no i don't i i reject that i think that um you know like we live in a fallen world and the american system is like by necessity adversarial and and, and actually I, I i talk about unity but we don't really want true unity right you know true unity would be like one political party um i want them competing against each other in an adversarial system and i want there to be checks and balances and all that that that's healthy um and you know look I, and i also don't want to be too um you know naive about the past um you know you mentioned FDR was able, you know, we we had this existential threat, you know, uh, and and that that helped FDR. I think Reagan also with the Cold War, uh, you know, that that's also an important um, factor to consider uh, about his ability to kind of marshal uh, people behind him. And even there, I mean, I remember Reagan, you know, I was a kid, but Reagan would get up and give a State of the Union that I thought was awesome. And then 
Tip O'Neill or somebody would <laughs> come in and say like, I mean, maybe it was Mario Cuomo, you know, would, would give a speech about it's really a tale of two cities. You know, there's Reagan City, which is where the rich people live, but all the, you know, he doesn't care about the poor people. Um, that's just politics, right? I mean, there was the uh, the Iran-Contra affair, you know, and they, they hear it, it was messy. Yeah, yeah so, so that's my mean- point. It's like even the moments that I'm sort of holding up as, as times. But I do think that. Yeah. I mean, um, even I assume like the 1984 election, like, like, you know, Reagan only, only quote unquote won like 59% or something. So there was still 40% of the country that wasn't on board with them. And so, you know, the land, you know, there's a true landslide election in America. seems almost impossible, you know, given. Yeah. I mean, he won the the electoral college, 49 States, but right. He might some of those states he won by a point or two. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a lot of people in America um, did not like him. And that's great. And uh, so it wasn't like, quote unquote, unity in that sense. But I think there was. America had a little bit of a of a swagger at that point, like there was a sense that that we were competent, that we could get things done, um, that we you know, we're to some degree in control of our own destiny. Um, there was a lot more trust, I would think, in institutions. I mean, I'm sure that Pew has data that would that would buttress this. Tr- more trust in elites and institutions. Um, and, and I think we can get back to to that sort of thing if if our elites and institutions um, did a better job of actually kind of earning our, our trust and respect. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think maybe Daniel Bessner, who's appeared on this show and on Glenn Lowry's show a couple of times, said something like, you know, for someone roughly my age, you know, I'm 38. Our entire adulthood has been elite failure after elite failure, from the failure to prevent 9-11 to the failure of Iraq to the economic disaster, et cetera, et cetera, leading up to Trump and COVID. Um, and so the people who are like, you know, throw the throw the bums out, the elites are morons, fuck them. You know, they have a point like the, the elites have screwed up repeatedly and maybe they don't deserve to be elites to begin with, but then who else? Um, and, and that, that sort of attitude is, I guess, what leads to an outsider, yeah. uh, real estate billionaire, like Donald Trump, you know, getting power. Yeah. Well, and to me, the difference is like, are these honest mistakes or are these the result of people who are lying to us, you know, and that, that to me, that's the big, that's the big dividing line because I can accept we see through a glass darkly, you know, but the problem is the sense that we are being lied to uh, by by some of these folks. Um, so, so, you know, I was reminded of thinking about this of something that uh, Marianne Williamson, if you remember that, remember <laughs> yes. her, that she said. Yeah. And of, and of course, she is kind of a strange person and maybe a, a kook or a quasi kook. But she said during a 2019 debate, I have the quote. Uh, so this is a democratic debate. If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. Um, and that had some truth to me, even though people yeah. make fun of it and turn it into a gif where she's like, like, you know, glowing rays are emanating from her or something like there. There was some sort of, you know, dark, for lack of a better term, energy like behind Trump's rise. And I guess it boiled over on January 6th at the Capitol. And what, and, you know, so 
Williamson had this like politics of love or something, which, you know, was seems airy fairy and who knows what exactly what it means um, in, in practical terms. But the idea that there is a some sort of psychic, spiritual or moral crisis that fueled Trump's rise and that we the country needs to confront in some way rings true to me, even as someone who's like a not religious person and a materialist and so forth. And then, you know, it seemed possible that sleepy Joe Biden, you know, Grandpa Joe, the kindly old man who has suffered a lot of personal tragedy in his life, was suited to the moment of this time of like national mourning and and trauma. And it hasn't exactly played out that way for various reasons, but how, you know, how, how can, I guess, uh, you know, the president can give speeches and sort of talks and lectures and model good behavior, but I don't know how, like, I don't know. And it's like, how can, absent, absent some external force that unifies people, and obviously COVID was not that external force because it divided people further. How, you know, <laughs> do you have any ideas on how? any of this could actually happen how you know people i I don't think people are going to start you know flocking to the churches um (laughs) anytime soon i don't i don't know there's been this huge shock to the system life is going to change in various ways like practically like people staying at home more going into the office less or or traveling less or something um and people's perspectives are have been changed about the importance of work versus uh family life and stuff like that so those are those are kind of psychic shifts that are happening, but I don't know. I'm just I I, I can't see, I can't see. Yeah. Any, I don't know. I, well, I, I'm, I'm pessimistic about about the future. Yeah. So I have a bunch of things to say. None of them nail it, but but I'll but I'll try. So first, you know, I do literally believe in a spiritual realm. Um, but that's not mostly what I'm when I when I'm using it in this sense. I'm 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 not generally using it like literally. Although mm-hmm. um, I do think it is possible for some like a literal spiritual renewal or some sort of a revival that could sweep the country. Um, but mostly when I'm using the term, as 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 I think most people could tell from the context, I'm talking about like. Um, so it's not a material thing, but it's it's a matter of like attitude and culture. Um, that's generally how I, how I'm using it. Uh, I think Marianne Williamson um, was pretty much right, <laughs> but just like with Jimmy Carter, it's the it's best to believe it, but not really uh, vocalize it. I think. Um, uh, so. You know, so I think that is an important lesson uh, to learn. You know, we are not electing a new age healer or a pastor. We are electing a president. And although I think that their top priority should be to tackle what I believe to be, you know, look, you got to you got to pay attention to China. You know, there's there's things you got to do. Right. There's blocking and tackling you got to do. But I think that really this this. I'm calling it a spiritual issue is kind of the foundational fundamental problem that plagues us today that has to be addressed. 
I'm maybe a little more optimistic than you, but but I don't have a good reason to be. My reason is is kind of based on faith, and that faith being that we kind of muddle through and things shake out. And um, I think that it is possible that we, you know, America just kind of gets through this rocky time and, you know, maybe Tim Scott just becomes president, you know, apparently he's down meeting with Trump at Mar-a-Lago. It could happen. Um, well, I mean, that that alone is not a good sign from my perspective that, you know, he's going to kiss the ring of the uh, of the Godfather there. Yeah. Um, so, well, that is a <laughs> that is a um, that that's a big problem that we have with anybody on the right, because even someone you mentioned, Mike Pence, right, who I think would have been a, a much better leader during covid. Um, but obviously, he's someone who got who would have only been in that position by virtue of having sucked up to Trump <laughs> to get there. Right. Right. So it's kind of a catch 22, <laughs> at least on the right. And I don't see a lot of hope on the left right now. But you know what? I mean, like Obama, you might not have thought of Barack Hussein Obama and, to be the president in like 2003. You know what I mean? So you, we don't know what the future holds. And actually, that that leads into the point that I'm making here, which is that um, it, it, it's kind of uh, it's a faith based on nothing, uh, except that America, we can sometimes muddle through and that when we need that person most, they they can rise, you know, they can rise to the occasion. And um, and just because we don't see them on the horizon does not mean that it's not going to happen. And I would also say that the public, the American public are very fickle. And the same darn people who right now are clamoring, you know, for Trump and they're fighting each other and in, in the QAnon. In 10 years, some of those same people will probably be like pushing for compassionate conservatism. And the reason I know is they were doing it 10 years ago. So this is not me praising the American public. <laughs> because I think it's totally inconsistent and irrational and erratic. But I don't think that where they are today is necessarily, A, I don't think they're going to stay there. And B, I don't even know that it's going to get worse. I think it's totally possible that they're, you know, that they're oscillate, that they oscillate back and forth and that the uh, pendulum swings. Yeah. And certainly, you know, there were probably, there's some group of people who are sort of like, you know, maybe somewhat interested in QAnon. And then after January 6th, they decided just to return to their normal lives and get on with things. They probably haven't thought about it that much anymore. I think the, the average American doesn't think about politics all that much. And that's probably a good thing. Uh, they have stuff to do and they need to, you know, pick up their kids from for after school uh, activities and stuff like that, uh, at least during non-COVID times. Yeah. And, you know, I, the, the pain, you know, at least since, you know, you guess I, I've thought about this since, at least since 2006, Almost every election has been just a reaction against the last one, with the possible exception of 2012. It's just gone back and forth. There's a sort of weird stalemate um, of, you know, throw the bums out. New people come in. Turns out we hate them. Try them again. It's a two party system. We're stuck with these <laughs> these groups of losers. And so it goes back and forth. And so, you know, um, Biden, you know, the Democrats losing 2022 would be expected. Biden uh 
being able to win by running against whatever crazy thing, you know, the Republicans try to do in 2023, that would make sense. Also, it just, it, there is a sort of stalemate that sort of gets to the, like the frost out that yeah. decadence argument. Um, yeah. And you know, most, yeah. The, yeah. The people who were b- big George W. Bush fans in 2005 ended up becoming big tea party fans, ended up becoming big Donald Trump fans slash QAnon JFK Jr. fans and, you know, whatever served up to them <laughs> next, they'll probably happily, you know, eat it up. Yeah. Too, more or less. Yeah. By the way, so I don't know where this fits in, but here's another point I wanted to make while we're, while we're talking, because I've, I've put a lot of pressure on the president and I think, you know, rightfully so. But I also mentioned elites. And there's a lot of elites, you know, and 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 I and I think like one of the, you know, the fact that so many people in the Republican Party embrace Trump is a bad sign. But I also think in some ways it was a warning sign that um, that the Republican Party and conservatism were, uh, were, were not kind of meeting the needs, you know? Uh, it was like a canary in a coal mine sort of situation. Um, and so... And, and like it, you'll probably notice, like the modern day kind of the new right is like much more populist, and in some cases they sound even like I don't know socialist or something. Like you know, we have to go against big business and all and all this. So use the use the power of the state mm-hmm. to go after big business and things like that. Um, I'm against that. However, you know, it's a the part of the responsibility for all of us who want to keep this experiment going is 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 to like address this culture problem. And I'm going to give you just like one. This will be consistent with my football theme throughout the show. But people are going to think I'm obsessed with football, which I'm actually not. But um, but but it makes for a good for a good metaphor. Um, like when I was a kid, we had um, we had you know baseball parks and, and, and stadiums. And they had names, they had names like uh candlestick park, right? Now there's a place called crypto.com stadium. <laughs> Are you aware of this? Yes. I did hear that. Is it, is yeah. it, 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 it's yeah. Is it a baseball stadium or something? Is there some, something called crypto.com pays like $700 million for the name rights of something or other it's in in LA. Some, LA, some California stadium or something. Yeah. And like, this is a small thing, but, you know, we've gone from like, you know, we've still got, you know, Boston still has Fenway Park and the Orioles still have Camden Yards, but we're getting more and more like AT&T Stadium, you know, FedEx Field or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm a free market guy, but that's not that is destroying our spirit. That is like a that's like strangling our spirit. And I think one of the things you're hearing from these. These uh, these people on the new right who want to use the power of the state to 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 tell, you know, companies what to do. Um, I, I think that this is like a kind of a symbolic thing that that these corporations, they're now global. They don't have a special allegiance to the United States and a certain patriotism to this country. And um, 
and I believe in like the power of beauty and aesthetics and, and feeding the spirit and nurturing the soul. If you live in a beautiful area that nurtures your soul. And if you live in a sterile sprawl area, I think that impacts your soul. I really do. And so I think that although there's so much toxicity on the right and, and so many things that I, that I don't agree with them on. Like I remember, I think it was, you know, my old boss, Tucker Carlson was in Hungary and he got up and they were expecting him to like talk about Victor Orban or something. And he got up and he gave this speech about beauty and aesthetics. And like we can differ, you know, there's plenty of beautiful places still in America, you know, and I'm sure there are some crappy places over there. But there is a sense that there are there are things that feed the human spirit and that like capitalism and modernity. Our business, this is I'll wrap this up, but our business leaders, our elites, including the people who profit off, you know, making money off of all of us have a responsibility too. And I, and I think that, that they have neglected that responsibility. Yeah, that's interesting. And there's, you know, there, you know, capitalism is not conservative. Capitalism is dynamic and change changes things and, you know, creative destruction, et cetera. And there's some classic work called like the cultural contradictions of capitalism yeah. or something. Daniel Bell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, if you, there's this whole, I don't know how much you see this stuff online, like this whole sort of trad lifestyle thing of like, you know, imagining and sort of like dressing up like you're living on a farm in like, you know, 19. Dude, I live in West Virginia and I haven't had a haircut in two years. <laughs> okay. So maybe about? you're on the edge, but you're not like, um, you know, you know, wearing like buckskin or something like that. I don't know exactly. It's more like, it seems like the women more wear like prairie dresses and stuff like that and have like long braided hair, but there's this idea of like getting back to the land, some sort of, you know, getting away from both the civilization, but also, yeah, all the, you know, shitty things about, about American capitalism and that, so there's, you know, that is across left or right. Isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting to think like, you know, someone like Jeff Bezos, 30 years ago, like what the rough equivalent of Jesper Azos would have been like a hero of like the capitalist right is like, oh, this guy created this great company. It does all this great stuff for us, employs, you know, 500,000 people, blah, blah, blah. Actually, everyone today, everyone left or right hates Jeff Bezos uh, for, for their own individual reason. So that's definitely different. And yet and yet I order his stuff every day. Yeah, it's hard to, <laughs> they it's deliver hard to, it to my door and it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to escape, but um yeah, you can't escape capitalism, really. Um okay, well yeah, so that is, so that is a change. I mean, it's it's weird because the, you know, a a business leader or a phony business leader became the leader of the GOP, um but he was certainly sort of not liked by corporate America. Um uh, there's one thing that's sort of a side point to this that I did want to ask you about. Um, and I've mentioned this on the show before that, you know, the I know I weird aspect of the Trump years was that you know, usually the GOP is like the party of morals and values and traditional values. Donald Trump is a very poor fit for that, being like a totally immoral or amoral person. You know, it seems like more like amoral, like morality is no it <laughs> doesn't even play a role in his decision making whatsoever. And so a lot of the right had to sort of fit itself into that. And it was an odd fit. Um, and as I see it, like sort of the, like moralism moved to the left 
during the past five years much more strongly. And a lot of the things we talk about with like wokeism or cancel culture was sort of a moral energy on the left of punishing people who had transgressed in some way instead of a sort of like, well, you do your thing, I'll do mine, live and let live perspective that, you know, maybe the hippies or something would have embodied more on the left. So things are so Trump is fading, uh, hopefully forever. But it's, it seems like moralism has sort of returned to the right in various ways, which is in America, it's more traditional home, I think. And you said one example of this would be the silly, let's go Brandon thing. Um, and so yeah. <laughs> if you're not, I don't know, this has spread so much so quickly, maybe everyone knows about it. But as far as I understand, there were some people at like a sporting event who are chant, the crowd was chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And then like the announcer, either purposely or because he didn't want to say fuck on, uh, you know, on air said, oh, they're chanting, let's go, Brandon. They're not chanting, yeah. you know, uh, and because he didn't want to either insult Biden or say a curse word. Um, no, it, so it, it was a race. It was like a car race. And it was a it was a female interviewer, as I recall. And it's not clear to me whether she. um lied and said they're saying let's go brandon or whether she thought because sometimes we hear what we want to hear it wasn't entirely clear to me but it was it's laughable like when you know it is really laughable because like either her either she is like making that up on the fly or she totally misheard and it's it's so that's so, so, on multiple on multiple levels. Yeah. Right. So so as I as I see it, so then let's go. Brandon is now like a, a rallying cry. And you see it online and people are like waving banners and putting stickers and say, let's go, Brandon. But what's interesting to me is like, you know, Donald Trump did not have a problem with cursing. Donald Trump would have said, fuck Joe Biden. And <laughs> and, and and everyone would. And if he was at a rally, everyone would have cheered. But now it's sort of like. Trump is gone. Oh, actually, conservatives, we're not big on cursing. Like we like polite language and, you know, cursing is a sin, et cetera. So we're going to adopt this phrase. Let's go, Brandon, which is a coded way to say fuck Joe Biden. But we're okay, not actually so cursing because cursing is bad. That's an interesting interpretation. And there, there may be something <laughs> to it. Right. Because, like, you know, people who might not feel comfortable cursing can say it. They could wear it on a T-shirt or what kids get, you know, but I don't think that's the primary reason that I think that it caught on because it's, it's funny. If you watch the clip, it's funny that she misinterpreted it. Um, And if you believe that she did so on purpose, there's this other sort of subtext, which is like all the people in the crowd hate Biden, but the woman on TV holding the microphone is pretending they don't. And so it's it's a commentary on the media right. on how disconnected they are and how outnumbered they are by the average Joe in the stands. So I think it caught on partly because there's a comedic, fun, sort of naughty quality to it. But you're right, naughty but not profane. You yeah, know? It, it's 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 not milk toast. It's edgy. It's sort of edgy, but also it's not. You know, it's not even saying like. I, I don't know. It's not even saying screw Joe Biden. It's saying let's go, Brandon. And if you have no idea yeah. what it's what it's about, it seems it's opaque. Also, so it's, it's sort of like a secret code word, which people yeah. you know people like sort of secret handshake kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and I have to say, this is something I've delved into slightly with my, my writing, which is this is you you mentioned edgy. There's something about this that is 
and, and look, it's childish on one hand, but it is fun and funny and irreverent. And that used to be the exclusive domain of the left. They used to be the people who were funny. They used to be the people who mocked and had, you know, like we had like, don't amanitize the eschaton or whatever, like, you know, like <laughs> this is a much better in a way slogan. <laughs> like it's not as highfalutin, right? Like I think don't, um, don't, I, I can't even pronounce it probably, right? That, that means like, don't bring about the end of the world, you mm -hmm. know, like, like don't sort of, um, like that, that's a very like high level philosophical thing to, to say, but like, this is, uh, maybe this is the 2.0 version of that. Yeah. And, you know, tr I mean, Trump was a comedic entertaining figure in many ways. And, you know, his rallies were sort of a like extended stand up comedy performance with laugh lines. And, you know, it, it was like playing the greatest hits of Locker Up yeah. and Build the Wall and, and so forth. And, and so he has definitely brought a sort of, you know, more lowbrow, like Borscht Belt, insult comic kind of thing, <laughs> like back into at least part of the culture. And I don't, it seems like there there are other people who are sort of trying to do, do his shtick. It doesn't work. He like, you know, he had his own thing and his own like bizarre charisma. And then someone else trying to be like, you know, Trump Jr., not literally Trump Jr., but like doing his kind of insult thing it just it, it, it doesn't yeah. quite work think but. about any stand-up comedian like though i mean it, it wouldn't if you tried to be rodney dangerfield if you tried to be sam kennison if you tried to like it's anybody at that level if you tried to imitate them it wouldn't work you know um you can learn lessons from them maybe that you could apply to yourself but any attempt to try to like replicate what they do i think is gonna just look really lame yeah. Um, so if yeah. I if I had to bet which path the GOP were supposed to sort of take between someone like, you know, Matt Gates, who is sort of a like mini mini Trump type figure who has all sorts of exploits, <laughs> possibly illegal ones. Uh, and I don't know, more of like a choir boy kind of Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz. I, I, I would think more towards the choir boy kind of part of it rather than the, yeah. you know, poke him in the eye, you know, you know, offend everyone. Kind of. Well, the other thing, thing too is there are, you know, there are moments in history when styles change. And even in politics, you know, we're like up until, you know, the first six founding fathers or whatever, the first six presidents were all connected to the founders. You know what I mean? And they were all kind of like elites. And then you have Andrew Jackson, you know, and then like Jackson kicks off a new era. And so it is right. possible that Trump kind of kicks off a new era. But even when that happens, president, it seems like every president is the reaction to the last president and almost like the opposite of. Mm -hmm. And so there will be, even if Trump like was a paradigm shifting president, there's going to be, you know, modifications and, 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 um, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be just like him. Cause that's the old, at, at some point that's going to be like, yeah, he was president eight years ago, hopefully. Um, so 
you know, this is something George Will talks about. And you wouldn't think of George Will just, you know, because of his age, you might not think of him as, as being the guy who would have this observation. But I, but I think he has a point. At first, I thought it was kind of naive, but he talked about like our saving grace may be that Americans have really short attention spans and get bored. And like, I think there's something to that. Yeah. And I think definitely before I think Biden or whoever would have won absent the coronavirus because people were just sort of tired of Trump's nonsense. And it was yeah, it was like the show had gone on too long. And it had gotten stale and old. And we tried having this wacko person president. Didn't work out so well. Let's go back to the boring guy. And certainly Biden is Trump's opposite in a lot of ways in terms of like experience being such an institutionalist and being sort of boring versus Trump's, you know, never know what he's going to say next craziness. Um, And it will be interesting to see, you know, if Trump doesn't run again and if Trump runs again, then I guess we're sort of stuck in this same dynamic but if if he doesn't and then what you know what are the stylistic differences that's you know some other new challengers might try to present to biden you know like youth would be an obvious one you know no one no one older than biden is going to be challenging him at least we hope um and yeah so at least it would be a different dynamic than these two elderly men you know somewhat adult um uh, going after each other Okay, I we've gone a bit over an hour. Um, maybe we should maybe we should wrap it there. Um, so, uh, Matt, thanks for doing this special crossover episode yeah. of talking about this. I don't know if we solved any of the pro- any of the issues, but I think we at least laid out some of the dynamics. That's, <laughs> well, that's step one. Yes, you have to for- formulate the problem. Okay, so you know people people can follow you on the DMZ with with our friend Bill Share also, and where where else can people find your content? Yeah. So follow me on Twitter at Matt K. Lewis. Uh, Read my columns at the Daily Beast. I write usually three a week. Um, And I've also, uh, you know, I have a podcast called Matt Lewis and the News. And I've started simulcasting a lot of my interviews in video as well on YouTube. Uh, So, for example, I mentioned George Will. You could watch the hour long interview with me talking to George Will. We got into a big argument over denim. He hates blue jeans and he's very passionate about this. Okay. We have a big argument over it. <laughs> he actually would, I think he would argue that's part of our spiritual problem is, has to do with denim. That's um, going back a, a ways. Um, that, <laughs> oh, you, you, you've really had some big guests on, on your show um, in yeah. the past couple of months. Yeah. Uh, we've had Glenn, Glenn Greenwald uh, has been on George Will, uh, Stephen Hayes, David French, David Frum, Bill Crystal. Uh, just a ton of, of, of really interesting people, uh, you know, so and it's, if you go to youtube.com slash Matt Lewis, you will find that. Okay. And the, we will include links, links to that below on blog is, and, and so this show, uh, culturally determined is now on its own channel as well. Um, and so subscribe to this channel, which is all, which you can also just go to youtube.com slash culturally determined and get to it there. And you can also, you know, subscribe, uh, use your podcast app, et cetera, Twitter, RKCW. Okay, that's my, I, I, by the end of the show, it's always like self-promotion time and I'm like exhausted from the conversation and then it's like pushing the one extra, <laughs> uh, just across the finish line to do all that self-promotion stuff. 
Okay, so thank you again, Matt, for taking the time. Uh, you know, we've both been blogging heads people for a long time, so it was nice to finally talk to you um, in front of the camera, and I hope people enjoyed it. So thank you, and thanks to our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you again next time.